Welcome to the Not For Profit Podcast. My name is Matt Williams, your host. Today we're talking to Neil Jury, former Managing Director of Genesis Management Consulting, now retired. We're going to cover off two areas, the first being business plans. One of those things we're going to talk about today is business plans and how not to have a token business plan and how that can affect the organization and move through to other areas, including the values and the organizational structure. The second thing we're talking about in relation to business plans is how business plans can be used as tools to avoid risks or at least address risk and management and how they also can be used as part of a a collaboration between other entities. The second thing we're going to talk to Neil today about is boards and the structure of the boards, what the best structure of a board is, how the board is communicated and the things that happen within the board and also the training of the board. One important factor is to keep the board knowledgeable and moving forward. And the other area we talk to boards is also the communication between the board and the members of the organization. The Not For Profit Podcast is brought to you by Platinum Audits for all your auditing needs. If you need any audits done or you need any information, please contact Platinum Audits. Welcome to the Not For Profit Podcast. My name is Matt Williams, your host, and this week we're talking to Neil Jury, Manager Director of Genesis Management Consulting, now retired, and NFP, NFP consultant. Welcome, Neil. Welcome, Matt. Thank you. Neil, just wanted to get a little bit of history about what you've done in the NFP sector. I know you and I have had a couple of chats about it, but just let our listeners know what you've done, where you've done it, and what's been your experience in the not-for-profit sector. Sure. Um, yeah, I was the managing director of Genesis Management Consulting for about 14 years. In that, we worked with a lot of different parts of the not-for-profit uh, sector. We worked for the arts and community organisations. So we worked for organisations like Flying Arts, Arts West, Tanks Arts Centre, Regional Galleries Association, and some Indigenous arts groups um, like Maracu in Central Australia and Araba in northern New South Wales. We also worked for some faith groups. So we worked for the Catholic Church, Uniting Church, and even for the Buddhists at one stage. Also worked for semi-government quangos that were on that sort of fringe, like the Queensland Law Society, the Queensland Art Gallery, Diabetes Australia, Queensland. So in working with those different sorts of parts of the sector and different organisations, it was mainly about business planning, and we did a lot of leadership and training programs. Uh, I was also on a couple of boards for uh, not-for-profit organisations and, and churches. Wow! So quite a bit of experience in that fourteen years as as a manager director. Then, yes, yes. Ah, that's so, awesome. Um, so that some of our major clients, uh, as well as working for government organisations and private sectors. Ah, nice. What I want to focus on today is just have a chat about that business planning and coaching and mentoring side of things. What um, what would you say would be the biggest error or the biggest thing that not profits do around that business planning? What's what's the 
two factors we can take from business planning and, and we'll get into training in a second. But from the business planning side of things, what's the two factors that they either fail or don't do adequately? Yeah, it's probably what I would call token planning. Sometimes not-for-profits would ask us to, to do some business planning with them. They're usually doing it so that they can look at getting a grant coming up or they just haven't done it for a couple of years and they wanted to, to re-look at it. But instead of approaching it as sort of looking at what the opportunities are and taking a step back and really looking at what their risk factors are, how they're going to manage risk, how they're going to see some opportunities, some of them took it very much as this is just a planning exercise, we'll, we'll do some planning, we'll write a document, we'll put it away for a couple of years and then we'll dust it off in a couple of years' time and see what's happened. So that was probably sort of one of the, the main things that we saw and it was trying to convince them about how to use planning, about identifying risks to your organisation. That could be financial risks, uh, about being too focused on getting government-only funding and relying upon the state government to give you funding so that you could run programs which ended up being dictated to by the funding organisation. So that there was a whole lot of risks and opportunities, I think, that they missed along the way. Some of the opportunities you see were, were about looking at collaborations and partnerships with different organisations, not only sort of a not-for-profit with private sector, but also not-for-profits with other not-for-profits and looking at how they can best help each other and best sort of share some resources. An example of that sort of with our own church, we provided an opportunity, a church that was 25 minutes drive away from our church, so it wasn't exactly close to it, was small and struggling, struggling with numbers of people coming up for members and also struggling with resources that had a very uh, much a, an older congregation. So, and, and their building was falling into disrepair. So we actually formed a partnership with them and, and wrote out a partnership agreement. We poured a whole lot of resources into the building and building up them both in a physical sense but also in a in just a resource and, and support way so it ended up being a partnership that the larger church sort of gained a whole lot of resilience and a whole lot of values about looking outside of themselves and how they can help others and the smaller church ended up and that small church taught us those things and the smaller church ended up becoming back to being a vibrant, active church with renovated buildings and a greater outreach into their community. So, so by doing those sorts of partnerships, yeah, I think there's some real futures in there for looking outside the obvious and looking at how you can work with some other people to expand your horizons, expand your opportunities. But that token planning was one of the, the biggest mistakes we saw. And also the, the second biggest mistake was about sort of not embracing change and seeing change as somewhat of a hindrance about or how do we keep on going, doing the same sorts of things and, and trying to avoid it. Unfortunately, a, a lot of change was legislative and, and yeah, couldn't be avoided. 
but they were still trying to find ways of trying to minimise the amount of change they had to, to make. So, so that, those were the two probably biggest things. So I, I guess I, I'm of the philosophy about, yeah, embracing change. If you're not moving forward and growing and doing some different things, then you're actually sliding backwards a, a little bit as an organisation. So you do need to take some advantages of some of those things and actually embrace change and look at some, some futures and some collaborations and working together. Oh, awesome. Do you find that you know, for those token ones of business planning and whatnot, they don't – I've always taken it as business plan actually sets, sets a culture as well, sets a culture of the organisation, helps with the atmosphere of the organisation and becomes a living and breathing document. Do you find that people who don't do that have that culture, have trouble building that culture within the business and, and can't move it forward, but that stems from business planning? Yeah, there is – those two different cultures. So the token planning people usually just want to keep on going the way that they're going and not wanting to change. And whereas people who see the opportunities are the ones that are looking more for the embracing change and and sort of trying to move forward that just that little bit more. And it does have an impact upon your membership and involvement within the organisation. Notice that, yeah, uh, members are constantly wanting a sort of feedback uh, about how the organisation is going. One of the things that you, you can obviously say, I think, about the not-for-profit sector is the passion that's in that sector and their willingness to work together and, and their willingness to see good happening out of what, what they're working on. So actually having some good stories and sharing those and encouraging people and building up the, the members it is another uh, great way about doing that. And I think planning and having that plan and having that direction actually really helps people to be able to do that and actually gives them a sense of purpose. Yep. What, in your experience in, in doing these business plans and stuff like that, what's a recommended timeframe to review your plan? Is it six monthly, 12 monthly, 18 months? Is it, it, I know there's no one hard fast rule, but is there a recommended time? Yeah, it's interesting uh, you say that because... I guess when we started looking at business planning, it was sort of like the, it was the old like three-year plan and, <laughs> and, and things like that. And, and as times change, the three-year plans became two-year plans. They become one-year plans. For some organisations, we were doing six-month plans because it was sort of changing fairly quickly and that what they were, they were actually burning through a whole lot of change that was jumping ahead of where they were actually planning six months ago. So, but as a benchmark, I would say that you at least need to plan and seriously have a good plan every 12 months to, to stand back and, and to look at where things are going and, and look at the opportunities. But having a plan is certainly a lot better than not having a plan and just sort of wandering around. Yeah, the old attitudes are you plan to fail or you fail to plan. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So um, just on the training side of things, you said that your, your company, you, they fell down a little bit in training. Is I know training is important, but is there a level you can go too far or is it not far enough? What's your experience in the NFP sector regarding training in regards to how much training is required? And do in the training sectors and part of that business planning, do NFPs put in KPIs and all those sort of factors to actually 
measure their training and measure the success of of the employees or the all the volunteers? There has been a, a growing trend about setting KPIs and, and looking at those sorts of things, especially in different parts of the not-for-profit sector. We sort of definitely notice that in the arts and cultural sectors, and that was also driven by um, government funding and other sort of funding requirements that they had to measure a whole lot of stuff and report on KPIs. The interest, I, I do think training is important, obviously, and with, the, uh, with different changing technologies, you've got to keep up to date with a whole lot of those. But I actually think training uh, of the board is actually really important too. Looking at the different responsibilities of a board and looking at what they have to do legally, but also looking at how you can better sort of service your organisation by being a proactive and effective board member. I think there's a whole lot of training and a whole lot of involvement and improvement people can do on boards and looking at their at how they govern. One of the things that I've often talked about with, with boards and that is about looking at risk management in a, in a little bit of a different way and looking at it as coming up with some even a dashboard for the board about having identifying what your key risks are and how you're managing that and and how you're sort of even looking at the opportunities including that in, in some sort of dashboard about how you're progressing with things. And so I think there's some some training and some learning that that boards can do. I think effective leadership creates effective organisations and effective leadership also creates passionate and, uh, and good members who will follow those leaders. Yep. Well, you, in the leadership side of things, I know you, you have that hierarchy of top down. Does the board, in a lot of NFPs, people don't consider the board to be leadership, but they are part of the leadership because they set where the, the business goals and all that sort of thing is in the training side of things for the board, there's two sort of two two questions here. How important is it for the board to set that and do that business planning and set that goals? And how important is it for the training for the board to be part of a group training? And can they do individual stuff? Is there courses out there that they can do board wise to make them better board members? Because I know a lot of them just have that token board. You know, I'm the treasurer. I'm just a board member. But they do set the tone for the organisation moving forward. Uh, yeah, they definitely do because. Really, they're setting the strategic direction for the organisation. So having an effective board that's sort of looking at the future and also looking at how members are going to be engaged about uh, the future is really, really important. If you don't get the leadership from the board, then it becomes a lot harder to get the, the members uh, and some of the, the leaders within the membership to be enthusiastic and also focused and working together. So the board does set the tone doing that. There are a number of organisations in the not-for-profit and community sectors that do do board training and do do the seminars and a whole range of different things that people can attend. Well, I'm a member of a board at the moment that every month we have a board education session where we're currently been reading a, a book or, or something like that. So we, we actually follow and read uh, chapters of, of books together and, and talk about it as part of the board meeting. And that's part of our sort of board education sort of program. But there's a whole range of different things. I think 
in some ways you're only limited by your imagination about it. And, but there are a lot of really good resources out there. So I really encourage boards to, to be proactive and looking at those sorts of things. Yep, definitely. In the sense of board structures, is there any, and in your opinion and your history of what you looked at at NFPs, is there a proper board structure? Like you, you can't have too many, you can't have t- too little. Like I know that most boards take a five, seven, nine member approach. Is there a board structure that works better or worse or, you know, that is uh, ideal? Yeah, I think there is something a little bit magical about the number seven in the sense that you don't want a board that's – you want a board that's representative. That's one of the things I know a number of boards have struggled with, especially if you've got different campuses and different locations or you're a not-for-profit that is based in the city but has different branches in uh, regional areas and things like that. So trying to get a board that's representative and not just of location but representative of of gender and of age is a constant battle in the board. I think having about seven people is about right. If you have too many people, it becomes a bit of a logistical nightmare about trying to get uh, people together all at the same time and you're never going to find a date that will please everyone. And So there's those sorts of, of issues. And I think you, you just need to uh, have a board that's that's actually willing to work together. And I, I think there's um, I've seen some very good boards who who have got that art down about being able to challenge ideas and and talk talk about the future or talk about a current issue, but they do it in, in a way that's very constructive and is well respected about doing those sorts of things. You don't want a board that is also very argumentative or that's just going to go along with what the you know, the CEO or, or the president's going to say about things. So you need a number of different balancing elements within a board to make it really work well. But, yeah, too big a board. I've seen boards have tried to get like 20 people together and it just becomes unwieldy and no one ends up getting their say and yeah, it just becomes uh, very hard. So seven's a good number to start with and just adjust it to your own circumstances. No, fair enough. 20 would be, it seems excessive. You wouldn't, you would be lucky to have everyone agree on one thing at one time. That's right. But sometimes yeah. boards are made up of people who, you know, that they've been there for a long time. And they just want to be inclusive. So... Yep. No, I can understand that. So in the training side of things, does a board set that tone for training for all the members like, and for the employees of the organisation? Does the board help set that or is that come down to more of a practical day-to-day operation which the board is not really responsible for? Yeah, I think that if you're looking at like a CEO level, the person who looks after the operations in the organisation and is on the board and reports to the board. I think it's a lot of that's the CEO's responsibility about setting training and being involved with the board training, but also setting the operational training. So from a board perspective, you should be alert to that the board is actually learning and growing and a good governance structure and that the CEO is there. 
but they just need to be aware that, that there is training that's relevant and, and is happening within the organisation. They need to know the details of it uh, and they don't actually really need to get the approval of the board for some of these training. It should be a CEO responsibility and part of a CEO's budget about training. But the board just needs to be aware that things are happening on that front and that CEO is taking uh, responsibility for those. Yeah, awesome. We're just about out of time here, mate. Is there anything you want to add in that relation to the boards or to the business planning, just to let everyone know, our listeners know, what anything, one last factor or anything else we haven't covered? Probably the, the only thing we haven't covered really is, a, and it's an important thing, it's about how boards communicate to members. And I think that's something that some boards take a little bit for granted about that. And we really sort of encourage boards generally to, to look at how they're going to communicate their decisions and the rationale behind those decisions to their members and get them involved and engaged. You see some organisations that uh, the members or even the staff aren't certain why or what decisions have been made and why they've been made. So it just takes a little bit of effort, I think, by the board to make sure that what they're going to communicate and how they're going to communicate is going to really encourage the organisation and encourage the membership because, yeah, members are just so valuable to any not-for-profit organisation. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for that tip. Yeah, it's a, one of the areas that I have seen where there's a lot of sometimes it can be why did we do this and why did the board do that and they forever questioning it. Yes. Yeah, Definitely. If people want to get in contact with you, what's the best place to to drop your line if they want to say hello and thank you for their time? I can give you my mobile number and uh, oh, just uh, you on LinkedIn or or yes, pages I am like on that. LinkedIn, so yep. I am on, on LinkedIn. So happy to do that. Happy for them to contact uh, via you uh, as well. So yeah, I, while I'm still sort of officially retired from. Sort of paid work. I still am involved in a number of not-for-profit organisations, so oh, awesome. uh, and enjoy that. Oh, that's it. it. And volunteering is all about volunteering. Give me a passion to where you enjoy it. That's right. That's it, Neil. Thank you so much for your time today. I really do appreciate it. And there's been some great tips and tricks there for our listeners to get their boards up operating properly and their business plans operating operating correctly. So we just thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you.